Hey church, welcome to episode two of our brand new series, Love Works. We're going to be looking in, into Luke chapter 10, a very famous passage, the passage of the Good Samaritan this evening. And I don't want to waste any time. I'm excited on this sermon today, which is called Love Your Neighbor. So I want to jump right in. The passage begins in Luke chapter 10, where it says that there was a lawyer who wants to put Jesus to the test. The first thing I thought when I read that was, of course, it's a lawyer who wants to put Jesus to the test. But I want to pause there because I want to go through this slowly and really understand what Jesus is saying and what is being communicated to us when he tells us to love our neighbor. Now, I know a lot of lawyers. There's many of them at Crossbridge. And I know that there are different lawyers that practice different law, that have different personalities and different skill sets, diverse set of people that engage in the practice of law. But most lawyers that I know think in a very similar fashion. Now, lawyers don't rebuttal me, but I, I really do think that most lawyers, they think in a similar fashion. It's what actually attracts them to the law. They are very rational, oftentimes, fact-focused. They are all about investigating to really get to the truth and the core of an issue. They never take things at face value. And certainly, most lawyers are willing and oftentimes excited to argue a point, to defend a point. Now, you may not be a lawyer, but you may think in a very similar fashion, too. You may be focused on facts, you love to investigate, you don't take things at face value, there's a little bit of skepticism and criticism whenever you hear something, you seek to be rational, you desire to actually defend and argue points that you believe passionately because you believe that you are on the side of facts or truth. And the reason that I, I want to kind of flesh this out is because we don't want to run past the fact that the person that Jesus is talking to in the story of the Good Samaritan, is a lawyer who thinks this way. He is, in fact, putting Jesus to the test. And I want you to keep all of this in mind as we move through this story today. So this lawyer who thinks in this way is putting Jesus to the test, and he has a very important question for him, a very personal question. And he says, Jesus, or teacher, how do I inherit eternal life? What is the path to inherit eternal life? Give me the facts. I want to make sure that I am on the right trajectory. So Jesus looks to the lawyer and he says, well, tell me what the law says. He's speaking about the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, where God's word, the law, is revealed to his people. Tell me what you think it means. You're an expert in the law, and certainly you have investigated the Torah, God's law, and you have sought to uncover the facts and the truth of the pathway or the way to inherit eternal life. And so the lawyer, upon hearing this, says, well, I think that it boils down to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus looks at the lawyer and he says, you're right. 
That's it. This is the way. This is the path. This is the trajectory of inheriting eternal life. But the lawyer is not satisfied. He's not like, oh, wow, okay, so I'm putting Jesus to the test. I asked him how to inherit eternal life, and he asked me questions about the law, which I love, and I've already done my investigative work. And so I answered, and I said, it's, it's to love God with all your heart and to love others with all your heart as yourself. And as he's thinking through this, he's not settled, and instead he goes back to Jesus. Because that statement that Jesus affirms, which is to love God and love others, is too ambiguous for the lawyer. There are too many questions in his head. It it hasn't really narrowed down. The facts aren't clear for him. And so, he looks to Jesus, and the text tells us that in an attempt to justify himself, he asks Jesus a follow-up question. He says, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, what's interesting about this is that the lawyer doesn't ask, how do I ensure that I'm loving God with all my heart, and with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind? You see, the lawyer believes that he is, in fact, loving God accurately. He has read the law. He knows what he's supposed to do, how to pray, when to go to temple, how to engage in sacrifices. He knows the things he's supposed to do and the things he's not supposed to do. He's not to have other idols. He's not to take the Lord's name in vain. He has all these things, these commandments, and so he feels as if he is, in fact, loving God, but that one statement, loving your neighbor, he has questions. So in an attempt to justify himself, to make him feel as if he is living out his faith, authentically. He's living out his faith well and that he is on the right path. Says Jesus, who is my neighbor? That is so interesting because what Jesus is going to do is he's going to answer this question, but not in a way that the lawyer necessarily necessarily prefers. See, the lawyer wants facts. He wants it clear cut. Boil it down for me, Jesus. That's why I asked a follow-up question. And Jesus instead launches into a story. Why? Because Jesus wants the lawyer to understand. And not just the lawyer, but anyone who thinks in a similar fashion who approaches God and His Word and His commandments, specifically the commandment to love your neighbor in a very similar way. Feeling as if they, that's too ambiguous. I got a lot of questions. Narrow it down for me. And Jesus is essentially coming to the lawyer in the story of the Good Samaritan, and He is saying, you cannot boil down God's love to a clear-cut set of facts that make you feel as if you are accurately upholding that command to love your neighbor because you are, you are loving these people or you're treating these people in this certain way because you've got the list, you've got the facts, you've got it all sorted out, so now you know who can receive love and who can not, or how to show love and how to not. Jesus wants to work on the heart of the lawyer. See, love must work on you oftentimes before you can actually love others. Love must work on you before love can work for 
others. And so he is going to challenge this lawyer's thinking and his perspective on love, which we will see is very much focused on how he thinks. Love has been residing in his mind and not coming from his heart. Jesus is going to tell him that love works from the heart, not from the head. Blaise Pascal, who was a mathematician and philosopher, very much a head and a heart man, mathematician and a philosopher. He has a great quote. He says this, The heart has its reasons which reason knows nothing of. The heart has its reasons which reason knows nothing of. The heart responds and engages and cares in such a way that reason knows nothing of. There is a difference. In fact, in Scripture, we see this heavy emphasis on the heart. We see the Bible tell us that God examines our hearts. That God looks into our hearts. We see here in the greatest commandment to love God with all your heart. Now, it continues and to say love God with all your soul, with all your strength, and with your mind, but the very first thing in that sequence is your heart. Love God with all your heart. And in the book of wisdom, the book where those who think like lawyers love. I love the book of wisdom, Proverbs. The most famous verse in that entire book where it has these short Proverbs, statements of wisdom, easy to digest, very clear. The facts are there. The most famous verse is in chapter 3, verse 5, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your mind. It doesn't say that. It says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust God, His Word, his commandments, his call with all of your heart. Whatever that means to trust God, which it means different things in different situations, but you're to trust him with your heart and not to lean on your own understanding. See, to trust God can mean different things in different situations, as I said. But one thing we know about trusting God is that it does not lean on its own understanding. You cannot lean on your own understanding, your own rationale, your own ability to investigate and to determine the facts when you are trusting God because you're trusting with your heart. And see, this has not registered with this lawyer yet. We know because he's putting Jesus to the test, he asks a very important and personal question. How do I inherit eternal life? He gets the answer right. Love God and love your neighbor, but he is unsure about loving neighbor. His mind is not able to sort through what that looks like and what is he supposed to do and what is it okay. And he wants to justify his life as the text says. He wants to feel as if he's doing it well and he's missing what love is. He's misunderstanding what it really means to love your neighbor because he's thinking with his head and not with his heart he's not trusting god with his heart in this realm of loving your neighbor he's leaning on his own understanding trying to get jesus to confirm his lifestyle to feel justified in the way that he's living and i know many of us as i've mentioned 
we can relate with a lawyer and that mindset in this way, in the way that we approach love, how love works in our life towards our neighbor. And we feel as if that's a struggle for us too. Who is my neighbor? How do I love them? What does that look like? I, I really want to know more. I want more clarity on that. And Jesus is speaking to us. And I think this is so vital, church. It is so vital that we hear Jesus' words to us today. Because we are living in polarizing times. You know that. I didn't have to say that. You know it. We're living in a time of great fear and great pain. We're living in a time of heightened emotion. We're living in a time of a lot of debate that is not healthy debate oftentimes. It's contentious and there's hostility. There's so much division. We're living in a time where there is really a lack of love. There is a lack of love. And we, the church, are supposed to lead with love. We don't only lead by explaining and sharing the truth of how you are to love God by surrendering your life to faith in Christ and what it means to love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. We are also to lead in loving our neighbor. But I feel we as the church, universal, are failing in that way. In many ways, we are failing. We are asking, well, who's my neighbor, and how do I, and I don't really understand. I'm not really mentally able to sort through it here. Let me ask some more clarifying questions. We are loving from our head and not from our heart. We are loving by leaning on our own understanding. So many of us are engaging in culture, in the pain of others, we're coming to our neighbor or we're trying to love our neighbor by leaning on our own understanding. And that is the very opposite of what it means to trust God with all of your heart. Is to not lean on your own understanding. I was thinking of this example or illustration this week that I think every single one of us can connect to. And that is the experience of looking at clouds and seeing objects in the clouds. I think we've all done this before. I'm sure you've done it alongside of a friend or a family member. You lay down, you look up at the clouds, and you call out what the cloud looks like. Oh, that cloud looks like a rabbit. That cloud, oh, that looks like a dragon. That looks like you know, a smiling face. If you've ever laid down before, next to somebody else looking up at the clouds. If there's one big cloud in the center, you're both looking at the cloud and, and one of you looks up and he says, oh, man, that, that looks like, and that looks like a fish. Don't you see the fish? You're like, ah. To me, that looks like, same cloud, looks like Gandalf the Grey from Lord of the Rings. You're like, what? That's oddly specific. I mean, I see a fish. I think it's very clear. Don't you see the little eye and the tail? That's very clearly a fish. And you somehow see Gandalf? How is that possible? How is it possible, which happens all the time, two people to look at the same object and see something very differently? Well, there's science behind it. The science behind it is that when you are looking at a cloud, 
you are looking at an object and your mind is trying to interpret what it could possibly look like. And so what is happening is that your mind is recalling experiences and memories that you have had and it's trying to connect those experiences and memories that resonate with you to the object that you see, which is helping you determine what you think it looks like. And so depending on your experience and depending on the memories that you have and the things that have resonated with you in your life, you will see something different than somebody else who's looking at the same cloud. Isn't that interesting? The science behind that. And many of us are seeking to love our neighbor in a very similar fashion. We are relying on our own understanding. We are looking at people in their pain. We are looking at people that would be determined our neighbors. And in an attempt to justify ourselves similar to the lawyer, we are loving them according to what resonates with us, according to our experiences, according to our memories. And we are loving them in that way. And we're oftentimes loving with our head and not with our heart. We are failing to see that actually sometimes the way that we view something, sometimes the way that we see someone, sometimes the way that we interpret a situation is coming from our experiences and our memories that resonate with us. Even if we believe that we got the facts right, that we are on the right side, that it is rational and it is just the position and the feeling that we have, it is still coming from that place. And as I said, we the church should be leading culture in love. Loving different people with different perspectives. Being capable of loving someone that looks at the same situation in a different way and sees something different. That feels something different. That we should be capable of loving them. Let me just say something. It is possible for two people who are equally bright and equally experienced to view a situation in two vastly different ways. That is possible. Why? Because we view things, even things that we would say are facts, from different vantage points. Our experiences and our memories and the things that emotionally resonate with us cause us to see something just like the clouds in a certain way where somebody else views things differently. And this is where love for our neighbor is breaking down in our society right now. Many of us are not okay with this. We are not okay with coming and loving people and understanding people and empathizing with people and listening with people who see something that we're viewing in a different way. We believe ourselves to be right. We believe ourselves have investigated rightly. We have the facts. They don't. And so we opt for things like, if you think that way, you're just ignorant or you're unintelligent. Or if you think that way, you obviously don't care about facts. But that's not true. It's not true. And those of us that think like lawyers are very uncomfortable with that because we believe the facts are the facts. Facts are the facts. That's true, but it's also kind of not true. 
because you can see things from different angles depending on your experience and your memories and the things that resonate with you will cause you to interpret something in a different way. Sometimes you can misread the facts. Sometimes you can see a story in a way that causes you to ignore certain facts to validate your position to justify yourself just like the lawyer is seeking to do in this story. Here's a great example of that. Here's a fact. Our DNA is extremely complex. Unbelievably complex. Francis Collins, who is a follower of Christ, he's the head, the director of the National Institute of Health, he looks at DNA and he sees intelligent design. He has a book called The Language of God. He sees God's language in DNA because of its complexity and beauty. And many other scientists are looking at the same thing and they don't see intelligent design. They think that's preposterous. They see natural selection. Looking at the same thing, viewing it differently because different things are affecting the way that they look and view. And a lot of love for neighbor is breaking down because we are like the lawyer in this story, seeking to justify ourselves, the positions that are comfortable for us, the place that we are in life, and, and our experiences and memories that resonate with us. We want to justify ourselves, so we're trying to determine who is our neighbor and how are we to love and what is love and what is not love. What does it really mean to love our neighbor? Blaise Pascal, as I mentioned before, he says that the heart has reasons that reason knows nothing of. And I did a little spin on that, which is that love has reasons which reason knows nothing of. Sometimes love doesn't make logical sense. It requires you to step in to something that feels a little ambiguous, which the lawyer is uncomfortable with. So as he asked this question, Jesus, who is my neighbor in an attempt to justify himself? Jesus shares this story because he wants it to resonate with his heart. He wants them to see that loving your neighbor works from your heart, not from your head, from your heart. And so he says this, there was a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, you would literally have to go down from Jerusalem to Jericho because Jerusalem's in the mountains, Jericho's at the base. It's not too much of a journey, maybe a day's journey, but it's a very dangerous road. It's a very frequented road by merchants and traders, but you would typically travel in a group because there was a lot of robbers. And so to travel from Jerusalem to Jericho alone is very unwise it is very unwise you are asking for trouble you are making a poor decision so this man is traveling alone from jerusalem down to jericho and guess what happens he gets robbed happens all the time the people that make that decision he made that decision he shouldn't have but he gets robbed but not just robbed he gets beaten he gets stripped naked and he is left at death's door on the side of the road in the dirt struggling for life probably struggling to bleed or to breathe bloodied and you would maybe read about this if you weren't there on that road that day in the Jericho or Jerusalem herald and you would read about this man, you know, they got robbed. 
And you'd be like, you know what? I mean, I feel horrible about it, but you should not have done that. It's kind of on him. It's kind of his responsibility. You should not have walked that road alone. Everybody knows that. Why would he have done that? So he's there on the side of the road, and he's about to die. And it, Jesus says, the fir- this man passes by, a priest. You're like, listening to the story, the lawyer who's hearing Jesus say this is probably like, oh, great. This is awesome because someone who will care, someone who has a heart for this person, who will love the priest, says the priest passes right on by, looks at the man, keeps going on his way. Another person walks by, it's a Levite. The Levite was a, a step down from the priest. They're in the priesthood, there's a tier system, and Levites would have worked in the temple alongside of the priests, but they didn't have asterisk the rules. They, they both studied God's law. They had a lot of things that were placed on them, but they're kind of a tear down. So you think, okay, maybe the Levite, maybe the priest was really busy because the, the priest is really important, but the Levite certainly is going to stop, has a heart to love and to care for this man on the side of the road. Nope. It was right on by. Now why? Why did they move right on by? Well, we know in the book of Numbers that there was this command that those of the priesthood could not touch a dead body. If you touched a dead body or a corpse, you would be unclean. And so it seems to suggest that the priest and the Levite are actually not traveling alone because they've made a wise decision. And so they don't want to touch this man or help this man because there's a possibility that he could die while they're trying to care for him or, or, or transport him. And there's people around. They don't want to lose their position in the temple. They don't want to go through all these ritual cleansings. They don't want to be judged because they broke God's commands. And so they opt for moving right on past this man. Love for them is working from their head. They're thinking about it. I don't know. And so they justify moving past because they have determined that what is right for them is not to break God's command in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, but to maybe someone else will come by. Love is working from their head, not from their heart. They are leaning on their own understanding. And what's so interesting is, we're not in their minds, obviously, but this is what I imagine has to be the case. When they see the man on the side of the road, what do they think of? Themselves. They had to. See the man on the side of the road, he's about to die, they think of themselves. What's the effect on me? What happens if he dies? How that will affect my career, my vocation, my calling? How will people judge me? Will I be put to shame because I broke this command? The lawyer has to be kind of torn here as he's hearing Jesus tell the story, like feeling obviously bad for the man on the side of the road, but then also thinking, well, I kind of get it why the Levite and the priest had to move along because they had to do what was right for themselves. See, Jesus is slowly through this story helping to speak to this lawyer of who is your neighbor and what does it mean to love your neighbor? That to love your neighbor is to think about them and not you. 
To love your neighbor is to think about them and not you. The priest and the Levite have no empathy and no compassion because they think about themselves. They justify why they moved on. This was right for us. They don't care about the man on the side of the road. They care about themselves. And they've completely missed God's law and the intention of God's law, which the lawyer already got right, which was to love God and to love your neighbor. They've missed it completely. Jesus doesn't want the lawyer to miss it. So he tells them this story. And I think a lot of us, a lot of us, are loving our neighbor like this. We're loving our neighbor from our head. We're loving our neighbor or maybe ignoring our neighbor out of a a desire to justify ourselves and our life. And we're thinking about ourselves before we think about them. But loving your neighbor is to think about them and not you. This may be a challenge here, but I think it is true. A lot of us love our neighbor in one of two ways, which is really not love. We either ignore or we inform. So the ignoring kind of goes in line with the priests and the Levite, which would have been you look at a situation where somebody is hurting, somebody is in pain, somebody is in need, somebody is crying out. There's, there's an opportunity to love your neighbor, the person before you. And you start to do the calculation. Instead of thinking about them, you think about yourself. You say, okay, what are the repercussions? How much time is this going to take? How much energy? It's probably going to take some money. It seems a really complex and a messy situation. I'm only one person. How much difference am I going to make? Plus, what is the headache for me if I engage this situation? If I engage, it could be difficult for me. So you know what? The, the best decision for me, and then you start to justify why that's the best decision for you, is just to kind of move along. Keep going on my way. The way that I was going. And to ignore the pain of others, to fail to step into love, is to think about yourself. Similar to the priest and the Levite. Some of us maybe don't ignore, or not all the time, but some of us inform. And I can imagine that there was a lot of this that would have taken place or maybe would have been the conversation as they read about this story, heard about this story from the priest and the Levite that made it on their way where they were going, oh, I saw this man. They inform. Well, let me tell you why you got in that situation. Okay, here's the thing. You don't travel the road alone. That was a foolish decision. He kind of got what he, was, he deserved. It's kind of on him. Plus, we don't even really know the story. Did he provoke the robbers? Was there a backstory there that we need to kind of investigate? What is the reason behind this? Not an opportunity to step in and love and think about the person that is hurting. No, no, let me, let me step back. Let me investigate. Let me check. Let me look. Let me inform you instead of love you. But see, listen. You do not love to prove a point. You love people where they are, which is the point. You don't love to prove a point. You love people where they are, which is the point. Because love works from the heart. Compassion. From the heart for people that are hurting. So Jesus says, well, there's a third person that comes. And this person is a Samaritan. On his way. He's got something to do. He's got things to accomplish. But he sees the man on the side of the road. And he knows this man is a Jew. 
He's come down from Jerusalem, going to Jericho. And there's a lot of tension here between Jews and Samaritans. A lot of tension. There's political tension. There's racial tension. There's spiritual tension. If people heard about a Samaritan that saw a Jewish man on the side of the road dying and decided to move along, people would say, I get it. I mean, there's so much hostility between those two groups, between those two people. They would justify it. And that Samaritan could have easily justified, much easier than the priest and the Levite. I mean, come on, we're like mortal enemies. And yet, what, what does it say in verse 33? It says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, this dying man, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He had compassion. You see, where does compassion erupt from? Not the head. Compassion erupts from the heart. It erupts from seeing somebody in need, seeing somebody hurting, in pain, and saying, let me step in. I don't understand the backstory. I don't understand the whole situation. I don't really understand. I just see somebody who has need, and I'm going to step in because compassion erupts from the heart. Compassion doesn't require logical sense. You don't need to know everything. You just need to know somebody needs love. Somebody needs care. Somebody needs you to step in and listen and come alongside and support. So you step in. Compassion erupts from the heart. Compassion seeks to love people where they are before investigating. Seeks to love people where they are. And the Samaritan goes to great lengths to love this man whose society tells him he should be at odds with. He stops. He has compassion. He bends down to the man. He literally puts his agenda and his journey on hold. That can wait. He bends down. He bandages the man. He puts oil and wine to heal the infection from all the cuts on his body. He puts him up. He puts him on his donkey. He takes him to the nearest inn. He stays there with him for the night caring for him, helping mend him back to life. In the morning, the Samaritan has to continue on his journey to where he was going, but he leaves money for the, the innkeeper. And he says, listen, I want you to continue to care for this man, pay for his medical needs, whatever he needs to come back. I will come back in a few days to check on him, see how he's doing, and whatever the bill is, I will pay for it. He goes to great lengths. But listen, I believe that there is a prophetic word that Jesus is sharing specifically for our time here in Luke chapter 10. It is amazing the lengths that this Samaritan goes to, but what I believe that Jesus is really challenging, what he challenged in me this week, and I hope he challenges in you, is the message that he is giving to the lawyer. The message he is giving to the lawyer. So after the story wraps up. Jesus looks to the lawyer in verse 36, and he says this. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? The priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? Pretty easy answer. The lawyer answers. He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus replies and says to him, 
you go and do likewise. He never actually directly answers the question, who is my neighbor? Because that's not what's important. It's not about who's your neighbor. It's about where's the opportunity to show mercy. Who are the people that are hurting and in pain and need help, need support, need someone to listen and empathize, to see and not evaluate from your head, but from your heart seek to love. Jesus says, you go and do likewise. Show mercy. Because to this point, the lawyer has failed to understand mercy. And so he's failed to love his neighbor. Mercy is interesting because here's what mercy is. Mercy is compassion towards somebody, compassion towards somebody within your power to harm. Isn't that interesting? Mercy is compassion towards someone within your power to harm. To show them compassion even though you have the ability to harm. Wow. Now harm can be more than just physical harm. Harm can be emotional harm through your words, through informing. Harm can be apathy or ignoring. Harm can mean a lot of things towards someone. Mercy is showing compassion to someone within your ability to harm someone that you have the possibility of harming, whether you ignore, whether you inform, whether you are hurtful with your words, discount, discredit. That is mercy. And what is a lack of mercy towards someone but an attempt to justify yourself? A lack of mercy towards somebody in need that was, is in with, within your power to love and not harm is an attempt to justify your life. It is to love with your head and not your heart. And I believe that this is what Jesus' words for us from this passage in this time is. It is to love your neighbor. And what is love? Love is compassion. And compassion is for who? Anyone needing mercy. Anyone that within our power to show love to and not harm. It is towards anyone. Meaning, we are to show compassion and mercy to those whose society says that we should be pitted against. Just like the Samaritan and the Jew. Society said, hey, don't show compassion. Don't show mercy to them. They're actually a danger. They're a threat. Both sides felt the same way, and yet, who, what does Jesus say? Through the example of the Good Samaritan showing mercy and compassion to the Jewish man, go and do likewise. We show compassion and mercy to those that society tells us we're to be pitted against. We show compassion and mercy to those within our own social tribe may say, hey, that person or that, that group, they, they're a threat. They're a danger. No, no, no. We show compassion and mercy. Anyone that is hurting, anyone that is crying out, anyone that is asking for support, we show compassion and mercy. This is what it means to love your neighbor. Here's what love is. How do you love your neighbor? It is a willingness when you see someone hurting, when you see someone in need, you see someone that needs mercy. It is a willingness to stop. To put aside your agenda, 
to bend down to where they are, to bandage their wounds, and journey with them as they are healed. That is loving your neighbor. It's not easy, but that's what it means to love your neighbor. It is not to lean on your own understanding. It is love working from your heart. See, church, we do not love according to our own understanding, and we do not love from our head. Why? Because we have been loved. Even though we have a flawed understanding, we have a corrupted heart, and yet we are loved by God. So we don't love according to our own understanding. No, no, no. no. We have been loved despite our flawed understanding, and so therefore, we love the way that God loved us. How did God love us? Romans 5.8 puts it so beautifully. The Apostle Paul says, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know what that means? Sinners? That means while we were still criminals, because we are breakers of God's law, while we are still sinners, while we are still criminals, while we are deserving of God's harm, guess what God did? Showed mercy. Compassion. Love. Jesus, on Palm Sunday when He's coming into Jerusalem, the very week He knows that He is going to be betrayed by His friends, He is going to be killed by all of those within Jerusalem that He has come to save. He looks over the city and with tears, what does it say? He has compassion over us sinners, criminals, breakers of God's law, He bends down and bandages our wounds through the healing power of the cross of Christ's death and His wounds that heal us. And God continues to journey with us as we heal. See, that is how we love others. That is what it means to love your neighbor. See, when you love God and you really understand who God is and what His love is for you and you understand that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us, then it clarifies what it means to love your neighbor. It means to seek to love others to the best of your ability the way that God loved you. Put down your agenda, bend down, bandage people's wounds, journey with them as they heal, love from your heart, show mercy, seek not to do harm, but to bring healing. This is how we love. This is what it means to love your neighbor. It's not about who is your neighbor. It is how you love your neighbor, whoever is placed around you, that you have the power to show love and not harm. That's how you love your neighbor. That's how love works toward your neighbor. Church, I pray that you and me would be convicted, challenged, and encouraged by God's love to lead out in culture with this type of love working from our heart towards those around us that we have the power to love and not harm.
that be true for all of us this week as we love. Will you pray with me? God, I confess that I don't always love well. Sometimes I love from my head. I want to investigate. I want to justify my life, my lack of love. Because sometimes it's more comfortable. It's messy to really love the way that you've called us to, and yet we see very clearly how we are to love to love others with mercy and compassion because we have been loved by you. Your mercy and compassion for us. May we live that out. God, may any of us that have been disconnected from you, that have not experienced that love and compassion from you, in fact, maybe some of us have felt like, God, you're doing us harm, that you're judging us, that we would receive today the beauty of that statement in Romans chapter 5, that while we were still sinners, you died for us, Jesus that we would experience that love today in you by placing our faith in you and that would not only change us in the way that we relate to you, God, but it would change the way that we love others. That we would love our neighbor well, showing mercy and compassion and not harm. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.